0: This evening, I don't have to be the one to tell you that children tend to think differently than adults. It's not always the case, but it should be the case that children think differently than adults. We could sit here for hours this evening and explain uh, the differences and how an adult would think in comparison to a child, but I want us to think about this Aspect of our difference in thinking because of understanding and because of maturity levels. I want us to think about what a child could place value on. We know if we've ever dealt with children that they can place value on some things that to us it seems odd or peculiar or just plain weird. Would you agree? I think we had a child in our house who became attracted to rocks and we're not talking about high dollar museum type rocks which I don't even know if such a thing would exist really but just rocks you know you'd be walking down the road and there'd be a pretty rock and so uh, that rock would be picked up and put in the pocket and it would be taken home maybe if it had an odd shape to it whatever it may be Uh, but a child could get interested in rocks they could get interested in some kind of a toy it could be so many different things but for just a moment for sake of illustration Imagine that child that is interested and intrigued by and fascinated with rocks. Imagine for just a moment you're having a conversation with that child, and they said something like this to you, Would you like to see my rocks? Well, as an adult, you would probably be cordial. You would probably be kind in that conversation, and you would say something like this, sure, let, let me see your rocks. And you might sit there and you might say, ooh, that's a pretty rock. Oh, I like that rock. Whatever it may be, but here is what you know, that at the end of the day, regardless of what the child thinks, regardless of what the child believes, regardless of that child's mindset, here is what you know. There is no real value and there is no real worth in that collection of rocks. It doesn't matter if it's ten rocks. It doesn't matter if it's a hundred rocks. It doesn't matter if if it's a thousand rocks. I mean, if it's just common, everyday rocks, there's not much value in those rocks. So you've got this child, and in their mind, this is important, and this is significant, and this is of great value and of great worth. And yet, because of your understanding, because of your maturity, you know that there is not value and there is not worth in these rocks, and about the best you can hope for in conversing with that child is this, is that they will grow up to understand you don't need to just bring home random rocks because there is no value in those rocks. You hope they reach a point in their life, their understanding and their maturity, that they recognize there is no value to this, therefore I don't need to be so intrigued or so fascinated by it. Now, if you'll keep that thought in mind, if you'll keep that principle in mind, I want us to look in verse number 1 of chapter 12. In verse number 1 of chapter 12, it says this, In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people. What does the word innumerable mean? It means without number. It means you cannot number them. It means it is just a mass of humanity, okay? So as far as the eye could see, if you looked over here, you looked over here, you looked in front of you, you looked behind you, no matter where you looked, there is an amazing crowd that has been assembled. So it begins to tell us a little bit in chapter 12 what the crowd looked like that day. It was innumerable, so much so that it says in verse number 1, in so much that they trod one upon another. So what does that mean? It means this. They began to walk on each other. They began to step over each other. They were they were in each other's way. I mean, there were so many people here that that, I mean, again, it, it was just a mass of humanity. As far as the eye could see, regardless of what direction you were looking at, there were people everywhere. So in verse number 1, it says this. He began to say unto his disciples, first of all, so we understand, as we'll deal with the context here in a couple of moments, this is Christ, and he's going to begin speaking to his disciples, and he says, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So in this mass of humanity, in this innumerable size group of people that is troding or or trampling one another, stepping over each other, whatever that would have looked like, as all this is happening, as all this is taking place, The Lord begins to speak to his disciples and he wants to teach them some lessons and he wants to give them some information in their spiritual lives that they will need. So as you look down in verses 2 through 12, you you read and you understand what Christ says and what he addresses and deals with. But as you come to verse number 13, here is what we also understand that it does not appear as though the scene has shifted. It doesn't seem as though it's a different setting or a different situation. It, It seems as though we're talking about the same day, the same crowd, the same number of people, the same attitude, the same spirit. Everything is the same as you come to verse number 13. And notice what it says. It says, And one of the company said unto him, Master. So here's what we've got. We've got a man... In this crowd of people who makes his way to Christ, he refers to him as master, and here's what he says. He says, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. He says, master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. What is an inheritance? Well, it's usually, as I've said before, what a person receives upon the death of of someone else. Okay, so back in their day, as it would be in our day, whenever the parents passed away, what was left by way of an estate, what was left by way of possessions, what was left by way of wealth, it would have been divided among the children. Now what the verse seems to indicate is this, is that this man had a brother who was not yet dividing the inheritance in the manner in which it was supposed to be divided. Does that make sense? Because he has come to Christ and he has said, Master, speak to my brother. I'm asking you to talk to him that he would divide the inheritance with me. So, so here's what the man is saying to Christ. Christ, there is an inheritance at risk here. There is an inheritance to be divided up. But my brother, who has the authority over the estate, he has not yet given me my portion. And Lord, I'm asking you to speak to him and tell him to do what is right. Now this evening I want to say this before we go any further. There's nothing wrong with being the recipient of an inheritance. You understand this, right? There is nothing wrong with being the recipient of an inheritance. The Scripture speaks of an inheritance. The Scripture speaks of how one generation is to leave stuff for the next generation and the next generation. That is what a person should strive to do, is leave something for future generations. So it's not in and of itself that the man is mindful of the inheritance, that there is any issue with it, that there is anything wrong with it, but there is something apparently about this man's spirit that Christ did not appreciate and that Christ didn't like. Well, how do we know? In verse number thir- 14, uh, in verse number 14, Christ said unto him, "Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you?" Think about that for just a moment, the response that Christ gives. "Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me." Man, Who made me a judge or divider over you? What makes you think that that's my responsibility? What makes you think that that's my purpose? What makes you think that that's why I'm existing on this earth right now? Uh, Sir, you need to understand, that's really not where my focus is right now. That's really not what my concern is on right now. And so here's a man who says, Master, speak to my brother, And immediately Christ shuts him down and lets him know, I'm not worried about this. I'm not interested in this. That's not an issue that I'm going to concern myself with right now. Wouldn't you love to have been there to see the man's response? Because that is not what he was expecting Christ to do. I don't know how the man responded. Really, he could have only responded in one of two ways. He could have accepted what Christ said and said, Okay, well, I guess you're right. Or he could have got upset and bent out of shape and thought to himself, I thought you were going to help me. I don't know what his response was, but I do know this. Christ doesn't seem too worried about the man's response. And then, if that were not enough, Christ didn't leave it alone. Christ didn't just shut the man down and then continue on with his conversation with the disciples and whoever else may be within earshot. No, notice in verse number 15, Christ said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. What is covetousness? It's greed and desiring what someone else has. It's a lack of contentment with what you currently possess. And so covetousness is wanting what someone else has. And so Christ was not satisfied to just say, listen, man, that's not my responsibility. That's not what I'm worried about. He continues to say to, again, his disciples and whoever else was listening at that moment, beware of covetousness, he says next, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Well, what does that mean? It means this. There's more to life than what you own, buddy. There is more to life than what you amass. There is more to life than the possessions you acquire. You need to understand something. Christ is not necessarily against possessions. He is not against an inheritance, but he said you got to understand this. There is more to life than what you possess in this life. It's almost like that man's inheritance that he was so worried about, that he was so consumed with, that he would fight the crowds, that he would fight this mass of humanity to get to Christ and say, Master, talk to my brother about dividing the spoil. It's almost like Christ says, Sir, you need to understand something. That is nothing more than a pile of rocks. That is is just, listen, that is is something that is immaterial. That is something that really, in in the grand scheme of things, there's no worth to that. There is no value of that. You need to be aware of covetousness because there is more to a man's life than what he possesses. There is so much more to life than what you're able to put inside your arms and say, this is mine. And if that wasn't enough, In verse number 16, Christ continues, and he spake a parable unto them. Well, what is a parable? A parable is a made-up story that has a spiritual, eternal meaning associated with it. So this is not based on actual events. This is not based on a real person. The scripture is very clear that this is a parallel. This is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's how it's been defined so many times. It's a dual purpose in in this story that he's about to tell them. So it says in verse number 16, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. So here's Christ, and he's going to use a story, again, an illustration, a made-up story to, to try to make a point to the crowd. He says there was a rich man. How rich was he? It doesn't matter. The story's made up. In our terminology, we may refer to him like this. He was a multi-millionaire. That's rich, to me at least, okay? Maybe not to you, but to me, that's rich. So, so here's this rich man, and how, and how did he get his wealth? Well, we don't know exactly, but what we do know is this, is that he had some kind of a, a field and he had some kind of a crop that brought forth plentifully, which means this, that this rich man who already had a lot, guess what he did? He just acquired a whole lot more. Sorry, rich people, they just keep getting richer. That's even how it worked back in the days of Christ. A rich man, and he's telling this story about the rich man, and he just got richer. So now the rich man has a dilemma he has to deal with. He's got a dilemma that he's got to come up with a solution with, or or two. And it says in verse number 17, And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. The land has brought forth so much. I mean, the crops have come in with, with, with such an abundance. I don't know what to do. What am I supposed to do now in this situation? So in verse number 18, he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater or larger barns, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. So this dilemma that the rich man has with with all the possessions and all the fruit that he's now brought in, what will I do? Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my old barns. I'll build bigger barns. That is where I'll store all my fruit. And then in verse 19, he said, And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods. Soul, you are rich. Soul, you have an abundance. He said, I'll say to myself, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You know what the rich man said according to Christ? The rich man said this, You've got plenty for the next several years. You can sit back on cruise control and you can just coast through life now. You have money, you have possessions, you have barns, you have bigger barns, you have newer barns, you have so much fruit, you have so much stuff, you have so many things in your possession. Here is what you can do. Just sit back, kick your feet up, relax for a little bit, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Just enjoy the fruit of your labor. Verse number 20, but God said unto him, thou fool. But God said unto him, thou fool. You got to know something, that when God gives his opinion on something, he's right. You don't get to look at God and say, well, that's just your opinion. It is his opinion, and it's, it's an accurate opinion. Okay, so someone may look at God's opinion and say, well, I don't agree. God doesn't care whether or not we would agree with his opinion on it. So here is God's opinion on this man that Christ is talking about, again, through this, this means of a parable. And, and God said unto him, you're a fool. Well, what does it mean to be a fool? It means just what we think it means. It means you're stupid. You're a dullard. You are a blockhead. Well, Why is he a fool? Because God said, This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Rich man, you're a fool. Rich man, you're stupid. Rich man, you're a blockhead. Rich man, you are a dullard. Why why are you a fool, rich man? Because God says through Christ, You're going to die tonight. It doesn't matter that you've got enough fruit that, that you could live for years. It doesn't matter that, humanly speaking, you could sit back, take thine ease, kick your feet up, eat, drink, and be merry. You've lost sight of something that is very important. He says, your soul is going to be required of thee, rich man. You're going to die. And so notice what it says next. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? Who's going to get all this stuff that you've worked so hard for? I don't know. Because truth be told, no one really knows what will happen to their possessions when it's all said and done and when it all comes out in the wash. And so here is Christ saying all this, which seemingly was prompted by a man simply saying, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Now, as all this is said, notice in verse number 21, Christ says this. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself. What does it mean whenever he says, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself? Christ says, okay, I want you to understand something. I want you to think about the person who is worried about stockpiling treasure for himself. He's worried about working and amassing and and taking in all these possessions so that one day he can kick back, relax, and take it easy. He said, so is that person like the rich man in this story who was the fool, who worked hard to get, make a lot, to, to, to get to this point where he thought he could sit back, drink, eat, and be merry. He said, so is the person that hoards up for himself or layeth up for himself. But notice what he said next. And is not rich toward God. And is not rich Toward God. What did Christ just tell the man and again those who were who were within earshot of, of the words of Christ? He just made this point clear. You can be rich in worldly possessions and be on the poverty level when it comes to that which is spiritual. You can be rich according to the world's standard, but whenever you begin to look at the things of God, you are not rich, you are not poor. And again, remember what Christ said of the rich man as he spoke on behalf of God and his opinion toward the rich man. He said, you're a fool. You're stupid. You're a dullard. What is Christ saying? Christ is saying this, in the end, of all the possessions that you acquire, of all the possessions that you amass, of everything that you can collectively say this belongs to you, none of it matters. If in the things of God, you are not rich What difference does it make if you have large barns with all of your fruit and all of your possessions and all of your goods? What difference does it make if you have all of this, but in the things of God you are not rich, which means you are poor? What good is it? And the answer is this. It is of no good, it is of no value to anyone long-term, eternally speaking. Now, this evening, I, I know that we know this. I know that, again, as I said this morning, I'm not going to share anything new with you that you're not already aware of. But I want us to think about our culture and our society today. What seems to drive people? What seems to motivate people? What seems to get people up in the mornings? It's possessions and stuff and things. What are so many people worried about? They're so worried about making money. How much money? Every penny I can make. What do you want to do with that money? I want to spend it upon myself. I want to spend it upon my family. I want to get to a point where I've got so much in savings that I will one day able, be able to, to sit back and, and say to my soul, Soul, take thine ease. That's what people work for these days is to the point where they can one day kick back, take it easy, and enjoy the good life. Is there anything wrong with working hard? Is there wrong, anything wrong with, with saving money? Of course not. We know that the Scripture encourages us to work hard and to save and to try to, to be prepared for rainy days. Uh, you know if, you, if you've listened to me at all and you're honest at all, You know that I have never preached against working hard and trying to save money. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is this. We live in a culture that is driven by that thought, by that idea of work, 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 save, 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 spend what I get on myself. And hopefully, if everything goes right, one day I'll have so much in my barn, so to speak, I'll be able to sit back. Me and the missus will be able to enjoy the good life. And I won't have to do anything I don't want to do. Now that's living. What was the Lord's assessment of that? Thou fool. That's a terrible approach to have to life. That's like a child collecting all of these rocks, saying, I want all these rocks, I want all these rocks, I want all these rocks. It's like people today have not outgrown it. They don't value rocks, but they value the cars, they value the houses, they value the clothes, they value the experiences, and and all these different things. And that is where they have placed their emphasis on. And they fail to realize that one day they're going to die and everything they have worked so hard to amass and to accumulate is going to end up in the hands of people they're not even for sure as to who will take possession of it. And as they work so hard to amass and to accumulate and to bring in, if you look at our culture, if you look at our society, Spiritually, we may be wealthy, or or worldly, we may be wealthy, but spiritually, we are poor. We are not rich toward God. Would you agree? Show a little bit of signs of life tonight, okay? it's, It's the culture that we live in. We have no wealth. Or abundance, or for lack of better words, success in their relationship with the Lord. How many people do we meet? How many people do we come into contact with? How, how many people do we run into, and and they're doing fine financially. They're doing okay, worldly speaking, but they have no personal relationship with the Lord. They have no desire to live in obedience to the Word of God. They have no concern for the things of God. They are rich, possibly, in the eyes of the world. But spiritually, they are poor. Now, as you think about that, I don't know if I've... Brought this to our attention before If I've asked you to think about this Or if anyone else has ever asked you to think about this But I find it interesting If you think about this man How large was the crowd? It was innumerable You couldn't number the number of people Who were there that day It was people everywhere And here's what he had He had enough of an awareness of who Christ was that he would say, Master, would you please? Yet at the same time, he was still so consumed with the things of this world that Christ said, Take heed, beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. What's the point? The point is this. The man had some realization and some understanding of who Christ was and the importance of Christ and the significance of Christ and yet at the same time he was driven by and he was consumed with the things of this world. Why do we need to consider that? Because I I am telling you the same problems that exist in the world exist in the churches today. We have an awareness of who Christ is. We have an awareness of His authority. We have an awareness of His teachings. We have an awareness of the value of His opinion on things, do we not? We understand who Christ is, yet if we are honest, what do so many of us struggle with? We struggle with a covetousness, a greed, or a desire for more of what? the things of this world. It's not that we're against the church. It's not that we're against God. It's not that we're against Scripture. It's not that we're against preaching or, or teaching or ministry or anything of that nature. Yet while we seem to have somewhat of a respect and a reverence for the Word of God... We still have a strong attraction and a strong desire to accumulate more. So much so that that's really what's driving us more than the things of God. I've said this before, I know that I've said this before. But here is what we're so apt to do. We're so apt to assume that we're not guilty of doing this because we've not yet reached what we consider to be that point of being rich. We're not rich. We know that we're not at any point. We're not even close to a point where we would say, sit back, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. We're not there And so we many times don't even begin to realize how consumed with the things of the world we've truly become. And here's what happens. When we are consumed with the things of this world, when we are driven by the things of this world, it hinders us in being rich toward the things of God. No matter what level we view or perceive ourselves to be on. Well, Brother Kyle, good grief. I, I, I'm not greedy. We very well could be and not be rich in those things pertaining to the Lord. You and I have to ask ourselves from time to time what's driving me? What's motivating me? What challenges me? What stirs me? What's important to me? What is it that, that I have a passion for? We need to be willing to ask ourselves these questions from time to time because every one of us gets sucked into the things of the world. I want more money. I want more things. I want more possessions. I want to do this. I want to be able to do this one day. I'd like to do this. I'd like to do this. Okay. Where is that same drive and passion for the things of the world, for the things of God as opposed to the things of this world? As we try to emphasize the subject of missions today, and I don't know if we've been successful in this or not, I hope we have been, but as as we have tried to give effort to this thought, we ought to ask ourselves, how rich am I toward God right now? I don't mean how much money do you put in the plate, though that's an indication. You understand that, right? It's not enough to say, well, I give, so therefore I must be rich toward God. That's only a small portion of it. I would say this, if you don't give, you're not rich toward God. Because if you can't put money in a plate, you're probably not going to obey Him in other areas of life. But well past the point of putting money in the plate, what kind of investment am I making in eternity? What kind of an investment am I making in the lives of the men and women around me? When was the last time I invested in someone outside of myself or outside of my immediate family? When was the last time that it was not just about me and, and my husband or me and my wife and me and my kids or me and my parents or me and my kid, uh, siblings? When was the last time that it was, I am thinking about someone else. I am investing in them. I am giving myself to try to bring forth some spiritual fruit in their life. When was the last time we were seeking to invest in someone else. What well, doesn't happen very often? Because we can't do that and get everything else in life that we want. I don't have time for other people because I've got to make all the time for this so that at some point I can sit back and say, Phew! Finally got it all paid for. Now I can just sit back and enjoy it a little bit if nothing goes wrong. It's not the right attitude to have. It's not the right spirit to have. If we're honest, we know that it is so easy for us to get consumed with the things of this world and not invest in the things of eternity and the souls of men and women. How rich are we toward God? Am I giving? Am I investing? Am I obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in my life in matters that would not be related to this church? When the Holy Spirit says give, do you give? When the Holy Spirit says spend on them, not on you, do you do it? Where is there that spirit that says, I I can't spend on them because if I spend on them, I can't spend on me. What about me? What about my bottom line? What about my future? What about my needs? What about my wants? What about the needs of my kids? The needs of my, my spouse? What about us? you understand where we are so messed up in our thinking so many times? We're so worried about things that really have no eternal value to them. I want more, I want more, I want more, I want more. And God, make sure I get more. Christ, make sure I get more. Christ, you know this inheritance that I've got coming to me. God, would you make sure that I get this? Do you see how easily we get wrapped up into this? And if we're coveting, if we are greedy, if we are always longing for more of this world, we cannot be rich toward God in the way that we're supposed to be. I don't know if I've said this publicly. I don't know if I've said this out loud. If I have, please Please forgive the repetition. I, I genuinely apologize for it. But when it comes to the things of this world, you know what every one of us should want to be? We should want to be nothing more than a funnel. Whatever comes in manages to go out someplace else and not always on us. I don't want to be this sponge where I'm trying to absorb everything that, that, that I can get and everything that I can get my hands on and say, look at what we've got. We ought to have a desire to say, God, whatever you bless me with, I want to be used as a channel. I want to be used as, as an instrument to be a blessing and to be a help in someone else. I want to be rich in the things of God, not just in the things of this world. But that takes maturing. And that takes some growing up spiritually. And while some people grow and while some people mature in their walk with the Lord and they get to that point where they realize there is so much more to life than the things of this world and they want to stand before God with gold, silver, and precious uh, metal, they want to stand before God in that condition rather than with wood, hay, and stubble. Listen, it's a, it's a growing, maturing process that some people reach, yet sadly so many people in churches never reach it. They go to their graves and life was about them. They go to their graves and everything was about them and what they could acquire and what they could amass. And I just want to encourage us as this for lack of better terms, as this fiscal year for our missions begins. I want you to give financially to missions. I want you to. I don't want you to take away from your tithe and give it to missions and justify it. That's not what I want you to do. I want you to be obedient in your tithes and your offerings. And then because you have a heart for missions, you have a heart for people groups outside of Pampa, I would encourage you and I would challenge you, God, what could I give more? You say, well, I'd have to give up something. That's kind of the point of all this. That's kind of the point of all this. Don't take away from your tithe to give to missions. Pray about it and say, God, what would you have me to do with my money in this next year so that I could be rich towards you and investing in eternity through the cause of missions? I would love to see our church get more serious about missions financially. But as much as I'd like to see that happen in our church, you know what I'd love to see? I'd love to see people have this awareness. I'd love for us as a church to have this attitude that says this, God, I don't want to be worried about the things of this world. If you give me the possessions, fine. If you give me the wealth, that's fine. God, if that's what you do, that's fine. But I don't want to be the one who's sitting back saying, I've got to build bigger barns and I've got to fill those barns and I've just got to make more money and I've got to stick more in my retirement and I've got to do this. I want us to be people who are so eternally minded that we can let go of the money like it's nothing because as you know it's not ours anyway I want us to be so free and generous and giving with the finances but I want us to have that same spirit and that same attitude of our time hello our time and in investing in people's lives, saying, God, I want to invest in them. You know, I noticed so and so was gone from church tonight. I'm not going to let this evening end without me making contact with them and finding out, hey, I just want you to know I missed you. We don't want to preach at them. We don't want to yell at them or anything of that nature. We just want them to know, hey, we missed you. And hey, we want you to come over and have some fellowship. And we want to get to know you a little bit better. I want to invest in eternity. And I want to get to know that coworker a little bit better so that I can have an open door one day to, to maybe share the gospel with them. I, I want to invest more of my time. In- people because that's what matters and the next year i would love to see us not just give more money because that is so easy to do if we're honest giving money is easy i'd love to see us get generous with our time and stop being so worried about our time i'd love to see us just investing in the lives of people in pampa because if we would do that it'd make all the difference in the world It just would. But we've got to be willing to do it. Will we be rich in the things of this world, or will, be, or will we be rich toward God? We decide where the investment goes. We decide where the resources we're given are channeled and where they are funneled. Will we consume ourselves with what the world says is important or with what Christ says is important? It's our choice. Let's so all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, we come to you this evening, and I pray that you'd help every one of us to have a desire to be rich toward you. Lord, I know it's so easy to say that's our desire. It's so easy for us to say we're not.